good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Welcome in, everyone. We are in the midst of Advent now. We got Christmas trees on stage in the foyer. Now we're excited to remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus this morning. And so if you would, let's stand together. And let's sing the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born find ourselves in this holiday season again and I want to wish all of you the very very best. The gift has become an annual opportunity for us to give back to God during the Christmas season. Our fellowship family has developed a culture of generosity believing that through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to God our resources can be used to make a difference locally, regionally, and globally. Last year the people of fellowship gave over $560,000 to the gift. 
which was prayerfully distributed by the elders to many worthy causes around the world. This year, we will again review the many requests made, but will also consider reducing the current debt with Fellowship Bentonville. Throughout the month of December, we are asking that you please prayerfully consider donating to the gift again. It's between you and God. We will make special envelopes available, or you can visit the giving page on our website, fellowshipnwa.org forward slash the gift. Thank you for your participation in the past and the difference you've made in the lives of so many through your generosity. Let's never forget how good God has been to us. Aaron Parks and I serve here at Fellowship Fayetteville and this is my son Caleb and he's going to help us here in a minute. Um, it's kind of a funny morning. People keep walking up to me saying, hey, nice ugly sweater and I don't really know what they're talking about because I really like this sweater and so um, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's pretty trendy, you know, you know. No, it's really not at all. It's very ugly. It's very ugly. Well, I'm really glad that y'all are here. Thanks so much for being here with us. We get a chance to gather together as the body of Christ and um, I just don't take it for granted that we get to do that. That is such, such a gift that we, that we get to celebrate and we get to worship together. And so thanks for being here. I'm so glad that y'all are here as we are in the middle of our Advent um, season and we get to celebrate the arrival of our Savior. And so that's such an awesome thing. So thanks, thanks so much for being here. And with uh, gathering together, one of the things that I really love to do is just to ask everybody different Christmas traditions that you might have. One of the ones at our house is we hide this little glass pickle in our Christmas tree, and then the kids find it, and then we yell at them and say, hey, don't break it, because it's glass. Oh, it's such a fun tradition at our house. We love it. It's so great. Um, I don't know where that one came from. I think it was Kelly. It was her fault. She came up with it. Um, and so, but it's a fun tradition, and I just love hearing the way that everybody celebrates during Advent and Christmas season. So here's what I would love for us to do. Take about 10 seconds and turn to somebody next to you. Think of what's your favorite Christmas tradition, and just share that with somebody next to you. Just 10, 15 seconds. Ready? Go. One of the things that I really enjoy is in, with this many people, there's gonna be so many different traditions and so many different ways that we can learn from each other how we celebrate Christmas. And so thanks so much just for sharing those with each other. And speaking of sharing and um, celebrating Christmas in a little different way and worshiping in a different way, we got, had a really exciting opportunity last Sunday night to join together with four other local uh, Fayetteville churches for our family Advent service. And it was a beautiful night. It was really fun and just lively and exciting. And we got to come together to kick off Advent together as families. And so uh, it, was, it was a really, really great time. We met right in here with four other churches and just talked about the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that Christ's birth brings. And so if you weren't able to be here, we're gonna do it again, hopefully next year, so you only have 51 weeks to wait, so you can go ahead and make one of those little chain things with like 300 and something things. Oh, it, it's coming soon. So we, we'll, we'll be doing it next year, it'll be really, really fun. One of our favorite Christmas traditions in our house is the Christmas Eve service. Uh, our boys actually, they really love being here for the Christmas Eve service, and because my wife Kelly is, is singing in it almost every, every year, uh, we're here all day long, but it's a fun time to get to see everybody, and so, uh, we're gonna be doing Christmas Eve again this year. It's a family service, so we won't have anything in Fate Kids, nothing in FSM. We're all in here together. It's one of the times that we get together as the complete body of Christ here uh, at Fellowship Fayetteville. And so we'll be right in here. And you can see the times there at 2, 3.30, and 5, and at 7. And the service at 7 will look a little different than the other three. It's our Celebrate Recovery um, service. And so Celebrate Recovery meets every Friday night at 7 p.m. It's an amazing ministry that helps us work through our hurts, habits, and hangups. And so because Christmas Eve's on a Friday, we're meeting at 7. And so um, that's another opportunity. Uh, it'll be very Christmassy and celebrating Advent, but also a little Celebrate Recovery. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. So um, those are the times for that. Well, Caleb is up here because he's going to light the candle of peace for us, all right? So go ahead and light, it, light that, Caleb. So Caleb... Uh, as he lights his candle of peace, 
we remember that we have peace with God because of Jesus. We don't have to wonder and wait for an, uh, a coming king because he's already here. We don't have to wonder if the God that we serve will keep his promises because he did keep them. The prophecies that he gave us over 700 years before Christ was born came true. Christ is, the t- is, is a tangible representation of God's love for us and we celebrate that. We know that God is with us. So as we celebrate that today, will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for your love for us and thank you that we know that you are with us. Thank you for being our Emmanuel, God with us. And thank you for sending your son Jesus and keeping your promises and making peace with us. We love you and we celebrate that today and it's in your name we pray, amen.
merciful God. Praise to you, our Father, who sent his Son to be the perfecter of our faith. You knew us at our worst, and yet you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to death so that we may find life in you and in you alone. You stepped down from a throne of glory to a cradle in the dirt, and on that glorious day, our path to peace was born. y'all to Mason Peacock, her parents, Dane and Brittany, and we're here to celebrate a decision that Mason made almost two years ago um, as she was at church camp and the gospel was clearly shared with her. She understood really for the first time that Jesus went to the cross in her place, paid the sin debt she could never pay, and that she's going to spend eternity with him. And so, Mason, I'm so excited for you to get to have this moment with your parents, your brothers hiding out back here. We got the whole church family gathered. So I want to ask you in front of everybody, is it your story that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and that you're going to follow him as your Lord and Savior all the days of your life? Yes. All right. Well, then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism raised to walk in newness of life.
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Kingsley, good morning, fellowship. You can be seated. Kingsley, thank you so much. You're such a light around here. Proud graduate of Elkins High School. And uh, carrying on the faith tradition in her family, passed down by her uh, grandparents and her parents. I have the privilege of being in community group with your mom and dad, Kingsley. And uh, she's a student here at the University of Arkansas. And, uh, and she's got big things in front of her. And uh, God's going to use her to do great things as she obeys his word and seeks to make him known among the nations. And so I'm super grateful that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, let me get my... Uh, my stool prop here for a minute. There we go. There goes the readers right there. And uh, wanted to ask you guys a question as we get started this morning. Um, and we consider what God can do and how he can do great things through the lives of a couple or an individual or a family. What kind of person can God use? And it makes me think of some of our hometown heroes here in northwest Arkansas um, over the years that they've been faithful to God's calling in their life, as God put a vision on their heart to step out in faith and allow God to use them to affect change in our church and our community. I think of John and Ann Baker, and decades ago, they stepped out in faith, and they felt like God wanted uh, them to intercede on behalf of those in South Fayetteville, and they started South Church, providing a meal for families on Sunday evenings. Um, they begin to provide sleeping bags and tents and provide a gospel message on Sunday evenings there. And they were faithful to that calling, uh, that purpose. Uh, this is Ernie and Terry Condiff. They stepped out in faith over a couple of decades ago and launched Life Source International to help give people not just a handout, but a hand up. And I think of Aaron and JT Marshall and Kevin and Mary Fitzpatrick and through their their painstaking research and their generosity, their vision casting, uh, their interviews with those in the homeless community um, to see a, a vision happen, to come to fruition as, as they began the, the Northwest Arkansas, the, the New Beginnings Movement here in Northwest Arkansas. It's a transitional homeless facility. This winter, someone's winter is going to be entirely different as they come out of this experience God's going to give someone, an individual, a family, a couple, an opportunity to spiral up and out of poverty and into opportunity. I think of some other hometown heroes, uh, David and Teresa Roth. Um, over a decade and a half ago, they stepped out in faith. They walked away from corporate America, and they stepped into this idea of work matters, it's an organization, and the landscape, believe, I don't know if you're in here, David and Teresa, but the landscape of how you and I view work and God's calling upon us in the marketplace, I think has been changed because of their faithfulness in that space. Many of you have been impacted by Steve and Carol Shadrach for over four decades now. They've cast vision for us in this community and around the world that God could mobilize college students. He could mobilize organizations. He could mobilize resources to see the great commission fulfilled in our generation. And they've been faithful to that um, through student mobilization, through the Center for Mission mobilization. He's just handed the reins over to Dave and Michelle Rothgar, and they continue that legacy. And many of you know Sean and Anita 
Schwartzman and their work with Potter's House and Potter's House Kids, and they're, they're changing the way we relate to one another around, uh, across socioeconomic lines here in Fayetteville. What could God do with a person or an individual who is faithful to the vision they've called them to? What kind of person does God use to affect that kind of change? What kind of person does God use to affect that kind of change? And what if God chose to use a young teenage girl and her future husband to affect change that would change not just this world in the here and the now, but have an effect on all of eternity, one who would establish a kingdom that would be eternal, geopolitical lines, calendars, world wars, great mission movements would be affected by this young woman's faithfulness to believe God for a promise that she could bank her life on. Well, God did this, and he did it in a real time. He did it in a real place, and her name is Mary. Her name is Mary, and guess what? It's not about Mary. Just ask her, and that's what we get to do this morning. If you have your scriptures, go ahead and turn to those. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, and as Kingsley read, we're gonna be in verses 46 to 56. This morning, we have her response to her role that God's given her in bringing hope to the world. And so based on what we learned from Garland last week, we, we met a, an angel, Gabriel, who pronounced this good news. And Mary has just spent some time with um, her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth has responded with a, with a blessing statement on her. And this, this young girl from this backwater town, she now believes that God's past faithfulness to his covenant promises is worth her present trust that he could use her in the here and the now. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. If you're following along with us in Advent, uh, we're flying over Luke chapter one and two, and we're dropping into the, the grit and the grime and the earthy scenes that are real people and real families and real places. We saw an angel visit last week. Today, we're gonna see a mother sing. Next week, we're gonna see an uncle prophesy, and then we're gonna celebrate the birth of the Christ child, and then we're gonna get to see the response that we should all have to the coming king. We're gonna see shepherds worship as we celebrate Christmas Eve together. Did you know there's 17 specific names in these first two chapters of Luke that are used to describe um, kings and Caesars and governors and family members and prophets? Luke's being given careful attention to reminding us that this family was a real family in a real time in a real place, five different geographic locations, and we see in our passage today, the Old Testament colliding with the New Testament. And we have Mary's song of praise, or some have called it the Magnificat. It's Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. And so we have this poem, if you will. It's a hymn of celebration. It's actually one of the few psalms that we have in the New Testament. It's one of the few praise-type songs we have in the New Testament. But as we jump into our passage today, I want to do just a little bit of a side because I think this will be instructive for all of us this time of the year. Is my hope, is our, our, our pastor's team's hope here at Fellowship Fayetteville, that this Sunday teaching event and worship experience is not the only time you find yourself with your scriptures open, okay? And... This passage specifically, as are a lot of the Psalms, it's a great way, it's a layup, if you will. It's a tap-in putt for birdie for understanding these three questions. Who is God? What has God done? And what is the human response? Three questions you can always ask. If you're gonna be a good observer of the biblical text and get your fork, spoon, and knife out, and become a self-feeder in the context of community, these are three great questions to always ask. And so I wanted to ask them just to kind of observe some things in our text right out of the gate. Who is God? There are six descriptive words that describe who his character is. Mighty, holy, merciful, strong, 
helper, savior. Then there are descriptive phrases that describe what he has done on behalf of his people. He's looked on his servant. He's done great things. He's shown strength. He's scattered the proud. He brings down the mighty. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry. He sends the rich away empty, and he's helped his servant. You're looking for verbs there that help begin a phrase, and that's how we understand what God has done, is doing, and will do. We can bank on him, on his faithfulness in those promises. And then what is man's response? In our passage today, there are four words that are used to describe how should we respond if God is these things and God has done these things, then we should magnify him. We should rejoice. We should walk in reverent fear. And we should walk in our humble estate before this holy God. Three easy observation questions to always bring to the text. And what I found is when I ask these questions, it helps me remember that this grand narrative story that God has given us is actually not about me. It's about God. And that's when I find my ultimate satisfaction is when I realize it's about him and it's not about me. We also have some amazing things going on in our passage today as well. You see, God is really good at accomplishing multiple things through singular events. He's really good at that. He's always doing multiple things. Here we see a personal engagement with a young woman, Mary, and yet he's accomplishing a national promise that he's given to his nation, Israel. Uh, Through her, he's gonna bring this, this idea of deliverance or spiritual salvation to the world through faith in Jesus. And yet he's also bringing deliverance, a promised come, coming kingdom to the nation of Israel, something that if you were Mary and you were living under the oppression of Rome at the time, and you understand Israel's history under Egypt, under Assyria, under Babylon, and now under Rome, you would think that this king is coming not just to accomplish a spiritual salvation, but also to set up an earthly kingdom at some point. She likely had some of that in mind, maybe not understanding when and how it happened, but it's personal, it's national, it's spiritual, political, it's present and future. God's already done a lot of things in and through Christ, but not yet, not in its fullest extent. There's a, still this earthly kingdom, this earthly reign that's coming. It's both present and future. He's both imminent and transcendent. He's both, he, he, he comes to us in the incarnation and he's here and he's with us and yet he's other than, he's over, he's sovereign above all things. He's imminent and transcendent. He's both human and divine in the incarnation. Mary's response, and we're gonna pick it up here in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord as I was eating breakfast this morning. I came across this magnifying glass. What do you guys do at breakfast? Apparently, this is a decorative item that some women use to decorate and design homes with. But you know what a magnifying glass does other than when I was a kid, I would use them to try to set fires and things like that? Um, It enlarges things. It brings things that are small into focus so you can see clearly. Mary's soul, instead of bringing attention to herself as this blessed one, her response right out of the gate is to magnify the value, the worth, the weight of the glory of God and put the focus back on who it's supposed to be on to. To enlarge the greatness of who God is. A few weeks ago, um, we were in community group, and what we do in our uh, community group is we'll, um, we'll read the passage that we're teaching on Sundays. We'll go around, and everyone will read two verses. And I had pulled my scriptures out, and uh, maybe eight, nine font, and I found myself doing this, and it came around to my time, I could not read the words. Okay, so safe place, not a lot of shame. It's our community group, okay, we're, we're doing okay. Well, after the group, a friend of mine in the group 
he, uh, he said, hey, man, you should try these. I go, what are those? I mean, I've been holding out on readers for a while now. And he said, man, I got these at Walgreens. You can pick these up. And I go, what, what, how does that work? And so I put his on. I opened the text, and the word of God was illumined. I've, I've seen things in the Bible the last few weeks I've never seen before. I knew things about who God is, my sin. It is amazing what these do, which, by the way, we have a lost and found, and there are dozens of readers out there that some of you need to pick up. But Mary's soul, everything in her, magnified or enlarged who God was in this scene for her. And then it says that her soul or her spirit rejoices to make great, to make much of. And it's instructive that we do make much of God this time of the year. In our effort to connect to the Christ story, I think we, with good intentions, we try to connect to Mary and to to Joseph and to the shepherds and to this idea of the incarnation appropriately. But sometimes our focus becomes too much on those characters and not on what God's doing in the story. In verse 48, it says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. No, like, no doubt she likely was feeling the weight of who me, my low social position, socioeconomic. I think her circumstance made her feel humble, but I also think Mary had a humble spirit. It's not always just a poverty thing or a spirit thing. It could be both. And I think she probably felt that humility of it, and where I come from, this is not just supposed to happen. This is not how kings come into this planet and rule and reign. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This phrase, from now on, is used often of Luke, and it, it carries with it this idea, from now on, things will be different. Which is many of your stories in here this morning, because I know many of them. From now on, things will be different. From now on, on Friday nights, some of you have experienced freedom from hurts and habits and hang-ups, and you're experiencing this extended grace of repentance of sin in your life, and you've found freedom, and that from now on, things will be different is not just an empty promise you make to try to stay married or to try to repent of a sin, but it's something that the Spirit has supernaturally worked out in and through you, and you've never been the same again. You may be involved breaking off a toxic relationship or coming out of a financial catastrophe, but from now on, you've never been different. She recognizes at this moment, history is about to pivot. From now on, if God's gonna be faithful to the promise he made to Abraham, the world will never be the same again, and it would never be the same again. Why? Because he who is mighty has done great things for me. That idea, that word mighty, it carries with it idea, this idea of uh, the warrior God fighting on my behalf. And she felt God coming through for her, for holy, set apart, for noble use is his name. Holy is his name. And then she transitions from the first person singular to third person plural. And she puts the focus on all those who would call themselves God-fearers. All those who would call those themselves God-fearers. It says, his mercy is for those who fear him. Someone who fears God, this is a reverent fear. And I know uh, many times when we think of fear, we think of, let me avoid punishment or let me turn away. I'm not worthy. The, the type of fear we're speaking of here is this reverent fear because of who God is and his character. Uh, someone who's a God fear, they acknowledge that God is sovereign and that they're accountable to him. They answer to someone other than someone else and themselves. They answer to this holy God. There is a sovereign and I'm accountable to him from generation to generation. And then we have a litany of verses that use the word has, meaning past tense. And it's uh, things that are about to happen, things that are happening, 
but they're spoken of because God is faithful and always keeps his word as if they've already happened. You see, that when God keeps his promises, it emboldens us to trust him so that when we claim those promises, we can act on them in obedience as if they've already happened. Mary is feeling that tension and she's acting in that way um, in this song. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and uh, in the thoughts of their hearts. The, uh, another word for thoughts would be the imaginations. Those who may not say it with their words, but in the depths of their heart, they think they're better than. They're trusting in their power, their control, their wealth to give them status, to puff them up above and over and not need God or depend on him. No need for God and thus a lack of compassion for humility. Before you just dismiss this as pointing to the rulers of Rome in that day or the rulers of Babylon or the rulers of Assyria, the rulers of Egypt and God overturning them, I'd like you to consider your state, my state this morning. How about your own heart? What kind of unhealthy pride have you displayed in trusting in your accomplishments, in your material gain, deep down desiring credit, while looking down on others who aren't as wise or accomplished as you? And oh, well, I know we, we don't talk like that, or we might not say those things. But I know weekly, I have prideful thoughts in my heart and my mind as if I'm some gift to God. And I've forgotten his gifts to me that he allows my heart to continue to beat even as I teach this morning. How arrogant uh, can we be? The wealthy, we tend to live more independent in terms of our need for God. It's just easier to trust in things we see. And yet he's the giver of all good things. In verse 52, he's brought down these mighty people from their thrones who trust in their status, their position, their control, their wealth. He's exalted those like Mary of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He sends away empty. If you need a, um, a review on how to handle our wealth so that you're, I was in, actually in a small group the other morning and as we were reading this text out loud, um, one of the men in the room said, uh, in verse 53, the rich, he has sent away empty. He looked around the room and he said, that's gonna be a problem. It was very instructive. In his own heart, he was owning a state that he was in and wrestling with God on how do I handle my material wealth. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter six, review that whole passage if you wanna see God's view of wealth and how to handle it, enjoy it, and be a generous person. But what you're gonna see here in 53, all through the book of Luke, some of you are doing the, the one-month Luke challenge or the Advent Luke challenge where you read a chapter a day, 24 chapters until Christmas Eve. What you're gonna see in Luke is this recurring theme. The gospel is brought into the margins of the kingdom and the poor, the women, the disenfranchised, those that are outside what we might consider status or wealth are brought in. You're gonna see that theme all through the book of Luke. Consider this is a, maybe a good summary for you. If you have your phone, feel free to snapshot this. It might be a good uh, way to review in a quiet time this week, kind of your own heart. And if it aligns to like the spirit of Mary this week, the humble, they magnify God, the proud magnify self. The humble walk in reverent fear of God and his commands. Did you know in uh, Proverbs uh, 29, it says that the fear of man is a trap. Uh, those who are proud, they fear man and consider what man thinks about them more than what God thinks about them. The humble recognize their need. The proud trust in riches and thrones. This past year, I realized I had a bunch of pride in my life because I was unwilling to be helped. You see, I always thought that in my role here at Fellowship that um, through acts of service and through trying to use my gifts to build this church up so that you can be a blessing to our community and the world, um, I was walking in humility. But it wasn't until I found myself at the end of my rope in need 
independence that I realized I had all this pride and people were trying to reach out and help me as I, as I watched my mother and father pass away this year. And as we continue to raise teenage boys in this culture, and I had people begin to reach out to me and try to offer help and assistance. And right out of the gate, it was, no, we're, no, we're good. We're good. And I remember making a phone call one morning uh, to two men in this church and I had come to the end of my ability to focus and to prepare and to help and to serve. And I said, you know, I've got two projects that I can't get done. And I said these words, I need help. And I felt this freedom come over me because I was confessing pride and arrogance in my, in my own heart. It's freed me up to enjoy the freedom of recognizing need you know, some of the most prideful people in this room this morning are those of you that say, oh, no, I'm good. I got it. It's an expression of your independence. Allow yourself to be helped this Christmas season. Uh, the humble, as Mary was, she was humble in spirit and in her circumstance. They're proud. They're proud of heart in their heart, but they're also proud of what they've accomplished in their current earthly circumstance. The humble will be exalted. The proud will be empty. This past summer, I finished up a book by Paul David Tripp. Would encourage anyone to read this. It's called Lead, and he summarizes humility like this. Humility means knowing as a leader that as long as sin still lives inside of you, you will need to be rescued from you. How good and horrible is that statement? Humility means you love serving more than you crave leading. It means owning your inability rather than boasting in your abilities. It's about being more motivated to serve than be seen. Why do you serve this time of the year? Why do you bring your Operation Christmas Child boxes back? Why do you give sleeping bags and tents? Why do you ring the bell with Salvation Army? Why do you partner with so many great organizations this time of the year in Northwest Arkansas? Is it to be seen? Or is it to serve and not be noticed? The joy of a true servant, he said, is not power, it's not control, it's not acclaim, comfort, or position. I think it captures the spirit that Mary was feeling when she pronounced this hymn. And then we move to Israel, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel. It literally means he will hold up this idea of God with this strong right hand, this arm that holds up the nation of Israel. Why? In remembrance of his mercy. This word mercy here refers to his covenant or his hesed love. If you want to hear it the way it's probably supposed to be said in Hebrew, you can ask Garland next week, okay? But it's his, his covenant keeping love that he spoke to our fathers, Mary says, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And as you read Luke, in Luke, the gospel, and in Acts, 22 different times, he references Abraham, bringing the barren into focus God's faithful covenant, keeping character. What are those promises? We remember them in Genesis 12, two and three. I'll make you into a great nation, Abraham. I'll bless you, I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. He goes on and he elaborates on it as he's promising them a, a place to live, a piece of land, a piece of property, a place where they could dwell with him and with one another. He says, I'm gonna make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations. Kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And as he's faithful to this covenant generations later in Deuteronomy, they've come into the land and Joshua is affirming the goodness of this covenant. They're reminded again that it was not their great battles they won. It was not their great things or um, their, their loot from those battles that had made them significant. He says, the reason I chose you, the reason I pour my love upon you and set my love on you 
you, you were the fewest of all peoples. And no doubt Mary maybe felt that sense um, as she sings this. I'm the fewest. Why would he choose me? No, in verse 8, it's because the Lord loves you. Is that not enough? He's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And he's affirmed it once again as he brought you um, through deliverance and through the Red Sea and out from under the oppression of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so for us this morning, what are some things that we can learn from Mary? If we're going to be the type of family, the type of individual, the type of couple, the type of student who could be used by God to accomplish great things on behalf of him, what kind of person? And I think we learn from Mary's response uh, these three things. Uh, she sets her heart on God's character. She magnifies and, magnifies and rejoices in the character of who God is. She remembers God's promise. She looks back. She looks up. She looks back. And then she looks inward. She acknowledges her state, one of reverent fear and humble awe. She knows her place before this holy God. Daryl Box says this, the reader is to identify here with Mary's confidence, Mary's faith, and her sense of joy. And so I want to take those statements by Mary. I want to turn them on us. I want to turn the magnifying glass on us as a church. This week, this Advent season, today, December 5th, as you walk out these doors, what attribute, what character quality of God do you need to magnify this week? Do you need to spotlight? Do you need to shine on? What promise do you need to cling to this week? Maybe you find yourself, as of late, just hanging on the hope. Let me give you hope that is certain and is found in promises that are in the Word of God. Find a verse of scripture that's connected to our Advent themes of hope and peace and joy and love and the person and work of Jesus and hang on to that promise um, this Advent season. And then maybe some of you are going through maybe some repentance of pride in your life like I had to go through this past year. How will you acknowledge this week? How will you acknowledge your need for God this week, even if it's something as simple as remembering that even in your warm house as you reach for that blanket on a cold night, that that's a gift from God. And you wouldn't have that without him. That pet that keeps you from being lonely. On these dark nights that start at 4.30. That's a gift from God. Like I mentioned earlier, every heart that is beating right now. The next heartbeat is a gift from God, the job you've been given, the children, the home, everything we have. We have nothing apart from him. And maybe some of us in the room need to uh, turn away from what I call the, the, the trinity of rugged American individualism, independence, and isolation. Some of us are hanging on to those three words as if there's something to be proud of. And maybe this season we need to remember our humble state of need. Remember where good things from God come from. What kind of person, what kind of family, what kind of couple, what kind of student could God use in here this morning? He used Mary and it wasn't about her you pray with me? Father, thank you for reminding us of these truths in your servant, Mary, this morning. Thank you that she reminded us that it wasn't about her. Give us the grace to magnify well who you are this week, your promises, and our ongoing desperate need for you.
on this morning, if you were to ask them to a man, to a woman, to a couple, they'd be the first one 
to tell you it was never about them. It was about the God who could accomplish great things in and through him because this season, this Advent season, he's worth magnifying. Let's do that great together in this community as a church. If you don't have one of these, pick one of these up on your way out. It has all the information related to our Christmas Eve services. Everything you need to know about participating in the year-end gift experience. And then if you need prayer this morning, we'd encourage you to make your way through these doors to your right and allow God to minister to you, to set aside your pride and walk in humility and allow someone to pray God's grace over you. Thanks for being a great church family. Love you guys. Let's have a great week together.